if you want. You can stand up. I don't care. We, you know, if you're a little, little more Pentecostal, you can stand up. I'm all right with that. I need an amen circle tonight anyway. Kyle, you're going to have to pick it up a little bit tonight, okay? All right. Josh might have to accuse you of being around me too much tonight with the amens, okay? <laughs> uh, we're going to start in James, the very first chapter, okay? There's a reason that I want to start here, and there's a reason that I'm preaching this message and I want to give you a little bit of a caveat as to why I'm preaching this message, okay? Number one, last Sunday, or last Wednesday night, excuse me, I preached a message, and I titled that message, what do you remember what I titled it, anybody? Because I'm having a blank right now. It's terrible, isn't it? I preached on not loving the world, Amen. I preached last Wednesday on don't love the world or the things of the world. Amen. Now, that really is a conversation, and it's in line with the conversation that Kyle and I have been preaching about for almost a month and a half now about sanctification, about how our walk is supposed to look. Amen. And then I preached Sunday night about what does it look like to not love the world, okay? So not loving the world looks like me being devoted to Christ. It looks like instead of running after lusts or temptations or the things of the world, now I'm running after Christ. I'm doing godly things. I'm doing the things that I'm told to do. He said, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is lovely, if there's any praise, if it's uh, praiseworthy if there's any good in it think on these things talk about those things right we talked about how our communication should be only that which builds up one another amen you know that that's the the the, the grace that god gives us the means of grace to uh combat backbiting is to talk wholesome and to let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth but only that which builds others up. That'll keep you from backbiting. That'll keep you from slander. That'll keep you from using your tongue the wrong way. Amen? So tonight, I want to go a little bit different with this. And I want you to understand that there should be joy in following the Lord. Amen? Now, in all of the parts of scripture that we're going to read tonight that have to do with counting it all joy, with being happy or joyful in tribulation and trials, in these same chapters, we also get told how to walk and live and avoid the world, okay? So we're talking about sanctification but we're also talking about what it looks like to walk through trials joyfully. Amen? Now, what is sanctification? Huh? Anybody? It's okay if you answer. Throw it out there, Kyle. Right, right. It, that's what it means, but what is it? 
in our life? What does it look like? What does sanctification look like? We can get the idea of what sanctification looks like from Colossians 3, okay? Sanctification, very simply, is the killing of sin in your life. And it's done by God, through God, and your cooperation in doing those things that are necessary to mortify or to kill sin in your life, okay? So we're going to start in James, but we're going to end up in several different verses, okay? So we're going to start in James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Now watch this. Watch what he says. But let him who asks, but let him ask in faith, excuse me, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God, or from the Lord, excuse me. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we have here an admonition by James. Anybody know who James is? Jesus' brother, right. So James, Jesus' brother, is telling us to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, when we're being tested, amen? Now, most of us, when we're being tested, are more like married couples, who once the temperature in the room starts going up, so does my temperature and so does my mouth and your mouth. And, and then all of a sudden, what was a peaceful, calm home is now war ground. Amen? There's war going on. Amen? Brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Amen? Now, I know it's hard because we're in the flesh, right? I know it's hard because we're in this old dirty world, right? We're battling the world. We're battling the flesh. We're battling the devil, right? We can make all the excuses we want. But the admonition of the apostle is counted all joy. Why? Why should I count it joy when my faith is being tested. The only reason that I would be upset that it's being tested is that I might find out it's not there. The only reason that I might be upset that it's being tested is that I might find myself wanting or lacking in that area. Amen? But I tell you, even for that, you should 
count it joy. Because here's the real thing. Lost people, they're not being tested. Their faith isn't being tested. They have no desire to do good for God. They have no desire to live holy. They have no inclination that anything that they do is wrong. You should count it joy. Because even when you find yourself wanting, I got a verse for you. My grace is sufficient. God's not done with the working. God doesn't reveal where I'm lacking just so he can make me feel bad. He reveals where I'm lacking so that I know personally where I need to grow. Amen? I know personally this is the area that I need to grow in. Amen? And you can, what's that? Gold is purified. Gold is purified. It goes to, here's the thing. We all want the fruit of the Spirit, right? How many of you want the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, right? We all want those things. You don't get those things by sitting in a pew waiting for them to show up. You get those things by the work of sanctification, by the everyday work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the everyday work of your prayer life, your walk with Christ, where you're intentionally fighting against your flesh. That's how, they, that's how you cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit don't just one day magically appear in people's life. I want to tell you a little secret. Most people that you have met that have great patience have went through a lot of things to get to the point that they have this kind of patience. God has led them down roads that have forced that fruit to grow. How do I know this is how it works? Count it all joy when you fall into the diverse temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith worketh patience. See, you're not going to get patience without work, without trial, without a reason to be patient. I'm going to put it in an, I'm going to put it in layman's terms for you. Wives, that hard-headed, troublesome, getting on your nerves husband you got, God might have just gave him to you that he would conform you into the image of Christ. Amen. You want patience? There it is. Marriage is the ultimate equalizer for pride, the ultimate test of patience, right up there with kids, right? God knew what he was doing when he set the family up, okay? God knew what he was doing because these things that we go through help us grow and look more like Christ. But you've got to be willing to embrace trouble. Amen? Let's go to another verse. 
Go to 1 Peter. I believe it's 1 Peter. I think it's chapter 1. I'm going to go look. Yeah, Scooby-Doo. Let's read from verse 2 of chapter 1 of, well, hold on. I'm, it'll help if I get to 1 Peter and not 2 Peter. There we go. I bet that'll make a lot more sense. Yeah, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Somebody touch your neighbor and tell them, greatly rejoice. How many of you are doing that when you're in the middle of something? Not many, right? Like Kyle walked into this room and said, how you doing? I said, well, I've had better days, but I'm all right. Right? Did I go, woo, I'm having a great challenging day. It's so wonderful. That's obviously not what he means, okay? There's a peace that we're going to talk about that comes when you know God's in control of your life. This is what he's talking about. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, somebody touch your neighbor, say for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. Whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom now ye see, uh, excuse me, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, this is the point that we really need to understand in salvation, okay? Because sometimes we kind of forget that this is the whole point, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Sometimes we forget salvation's the whole point, okay? Like, we, we get saved and we go, oh man, this is so wonderful, and then like the honeymoon wears off, and, and then you look over and your wife looks at you and they go, man, they're still the same. Yep. Now they, these two that's one flesh got to learn how to be these two that's one flesh and loves the Lord. Amen? Because the reality is we are new creatures, but we're still stuck in these dirt suits. We still live in this world that's fallen and broken and ruled by sin. Amen? We need to learn how to face trials the way that the, the apostles faced trials, like Jesus faced trials. What about that verse? And I didn't write this verse down so you can go find it when you want to. But it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
for the joy that was set before him. Now, I'm sorry if you go to, to uh, was it John 17 or Matthew uh, like 25 or 26 where he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Does that sound like joy? You see, joy isn't just an expression of happiness. Okay? Now, Jesus was in the garden and he said, Father, if it is, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, he says this. And then the New Testament apostles say that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy that was set before him. What joy? Jesus was God in the flesh. He knew why he came. He knew who he came for. He knew what he was going to have to endure. But while he was in this dirt suit, he prayed in that garden. Great sweat, drops of blood. And when he was done praying, angels came and ministered to his flesh. That's what the Bible says. Even the Son of God, wrapped in flesh, had trials had tribulation. Amen? And he endured them. It, it says that he was, there was a joy that was set before him. What joy? Because he could look past the grave. He already told them before he ever got to, to Golgotha that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, be betrayed by the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and be buried, and rose, rise from the dead in three days. He told him that over and over and over. Why did he have joy? Because he knew the end. He knew the outcome. He knew the victory that he was going to get. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a victory coming for you. It may not even be in this lifetime. But one of these days, every single person who has faith in Christ will be raised victoriously with Christ. That's our hope. That's the whole point. And if that ain't enough for you, you've missed the whole gospel. You've missed the entire point of redemption. You who were dead in your sins and trespasses. You who were enemies of God, who hated God, who suppressed the truth of God, who ran away from God, who hated God in your heart while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That you might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the greatest miracle that will ever happen to anybody on this planet. Because here's the thing. Even if my old eyes got healed tomorrow, 
when I die, they're going to close. Even if my crippled old leg got healed tomorrow, when I die, it ain't going nowhere. Salvation is the only miracle that lasts forever. Salvation is the only reason that we have hope in Christ. What good would it do for me to go, oh God, give me blessings here on earth. Oh God, give me healing in my body here on earth. Oh God, give me favor with all men. Yet I split hell wide open and I spend eternity, eternity separated from God. You want to turn prosperity preachers up on their head? Jesus said, store not for yourself up treasure on earth where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break through and steal, but store up treasure in heaven. What did he say to the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler said, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, you know the law. Keep the commandments. You know, thou shalt not steal. Don't commit adultery. Obey your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth. He said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And I want you to go ahead and read Luke, because Luke says, then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You see, we get so worried about this plan going wrong and that plan going wrong and believe me pastors are not exempt from this because we got our ideas and we got our plans and we're trying to work this thing out and work that thing out and and seemingly nobody else wants these plans to go the way we want them to go obviously right and then we're so consumed with all this that we forget sometimes that we need to focus on what god is doing what God has done. What's my real hope? Where's my real treasure? Where's my real reward? Where's my real victory? Amen? Almost every one of these chapters, by the way, almost every one of these books that we read about counting it all joy when we go through diverse trials and temptations, every one of them Every single one of them deals with sanctification. First Peter chapter 3 talks about sanctification. James, just in the, in the very same chapter, later on in chapter 2, talks about being doers of the word. Not just hearers only, right? Talks about faith and works, Right? How faith without works is dead, being alone, right? Sanctification. Even where I'm going to go to next, go to Romans 8, 28. Very familiar passage of scripture. Very familiar. We love this chapter because we oh yeah, yeah, that's what I like hearing that, Pastor. I get a lot of amens when I start this, okay? I might even get some amens when I start reading it right now. And we know that all things work together. Huh? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Amen. 
Now we love that verse, all things work together. Guess what? That means that funky old day that you had when everything was going wrong is working for your good. I got another one for you. When everybody seems to abandon you, when no one's around, what am I supposed to learn in the middle of that kind of trial? Learning to depend on God. Set your mind on things above. See, it's really easy for pastors to be discouraged, okay? It's very easy for pastors to be discouraged. You want me, you want, you want, you want me to tell you how this pastor gets discouraged? I, when I think back two years ago when that board said 65 people on it, And over the last three months, it said 27 or 20 or 30. Amen? If I'm looking at the natural, it's going to be very disheartening. And it can be. And, and, and Kyle and I aren't exempt. Mike ain't exempt. Carmen ain't exempt. It's just the way it is. Sometimes we get to looking at the natural and we go, oh, God, what are we doing wrong? Nothing. All things work together for good to them that love God. Period. End of story. Amen? Well, how come it ain't going the way? How come I'm not walking in all these blessings? And how come I'm not doing this? Well, how come you're so focused on that and you're not focused on maybe the sin that you still got in your life or maybe the thing that God wants to work on in you personally? Amen? Maybe there's some things in you that God's trying to work out that he can't, and oh, let me say it this way. Maybe there's some things in you that God wants to work out that he doesn't want publicized. And the less people see the nonsense that goes on while it's getting worked out, the better. Can I get an amen on that? The reality is, once we realize that we're not in control, and all we can do is submit under the mighty hand of God. It'll make things a lot better. And this verse makes a lot more sense. But I want to take you to the beginning of this chapter, okay? Because the beginning of this chapter and several verses in this chapter, in this very chapter where we see these words, there's verses about sanctification. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are uh, in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law, sin, and death. What, uh, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Right? And then he goes in on a whole tangent of what this looks like. He says, verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. 
For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So they that are after the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now we're getting to verse 13. Because verse 13 is the crux of this whole thing where he's talking about sanctification. He says, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, or of the body, excuse me, you shall live. Amen? Now all of this is leading up to the great admonition that he says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What I'm getting at is this. You're not going to have this peace of knowing who God is and knowing that God's in control of your life and knowing that God works all things out for good to those who love him. You're not going to have that peace if you're not actually trying to do everything before it. Amen? Living in the Spirit, keeping step in the Spirit, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, not being spirit, not being carnally minded, but being spiritually minded. Amen. If you're not doing those things, you're definitely not going to have peace in your mind or in your heart, and you're not going to be going, "Man, I'm sure glad God's in control." Amen. What are you going to be doing? what normally happens right you're just going to be freaking out the reality is this peace doesn't just get dropped in you like poof like a magic trick amen christ gives you peace but do you understand that that peace that is part of being filled with the spirit the fruit of the spirit love joy peace right that peace that comes through the fruit of anybody in here know that fruit doesn't just magically appear, right? Does fruit just pop up sometimes? It's like, like you're walking around and fruit just appears in the air right beside you. Oh, look, here's an orange. Oh, here's an apple. No, it grows on trees. It grows on the vines. Great grow on vines, right? Huh? And it's got to ripen. It's got to stay there long enough. Why? Because it's got to grow. Fruit of the Spirit are things that are cultivated by the Spirit of God, by your submission to the Spirit of God, by your using every means of grace that God has given us. What are the means of grace that God has given us for sanctification? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, prayer, Brothers and sisters in Christ help us in our sanctification. They help us in our growing into Christ. Worship, prayer, serving, giving, going. Amen? All these are means of grace that God is trying to use to grow these fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Amen? They don't just appear. They have to be cultivated. How do they get cultivated? Well, every time you come into a trial, 
And instead of freaking out, you begin to say, God, I want to go through this thing better than I did last time. The next time you and your wife are going, when, when, when you're doing that, maybe stopping and saying, you know what? Can we just pray about this together right now? Look, I know your feelings are hurt. My feelings are hurt. But I want to go through this better than I did last time. Amen? Learning to do those things in the midst of trial. Now, I want to show you Paul in the midst of a trial. Can I do that? Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. 14. Now, I'm going to try to get where he's uh, not almost dead and read from there. <clears throat> uh, so, Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul. It's going about preaching, and I don't have one of them fancy Bibles with head, headings in them right now. Um, let's go to verse 8, okay? It says, And there was a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. And the same heard Paul speaking, and steadfastly beholding and perceiving that he had... Uh, Faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul uh, Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Jupiter, which were before the city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We are also men like, uh, of like passions with you. And preach to you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which have made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and the fruit uh, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And when they, and when, and with these things saying, uh, scarce restrained the people, and they had not done sacrifice unto him. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having, uh, and having stoned Paul, they drew out of the, drew him out of the city, supposing that he be dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had taught many, 
they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about that statement. First of all, let's see Paul's tribulation here. So Paul goes in there and says, hold on. We ain't no Jupiter. We ain't no Mars. We ain't no, uh, we're not no gods. We're just men like you are. We're telling you to turn from this vanity and turn to the living God. In Acts uh, uh, 17, he says that in times past, God winked at these things, but now he's called all men everywhere to repent. Amen? And this is basically the same message that Paul's given them, and they stoned him. And they thought he was dead. Now, I think it's interesting that all the disciples, what are they going and, and surrounding him for? Okay, like, I think they were all just walking around going, man, this, I think he's dead. Not sure if he's dead or not. He looks dead. Paul just gets up and walks right back into town. How many of us would have did that? Or would we have been like, hey, I'm just going to go to the next town. Paul goes back into Lystra, stays the night, and then with no urgency just leaves the next day. And then when he's done preaching everywhere else, he comes back through there. And he encourages the disciples, the people who believed, the people who had come to faith in Christ, that we must suffer much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. Do you understand that this sanctification that God has called you to is going to be trying? It's going to be it's going to be tribulation. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard work. But you're not working alone. Because Romans said that if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh. When are we going to start preaching again that God has given us all that we need Amen. to live godly lives right now? Are we going to be perfect? No. But our goal should be to be perfect. Our aim should be Christ. Our aim should be to be just like the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That should be my goal. So no matter how bad the church folks beat me up, no matter how bad the boss beats me up, no matter how bad the state beats me up, no matter how bad my wife or kids or husband, whatever, I've got a mind made up. Like Paul, forgetting those things that are behind me. I press on towards the mark, the goal of my high calling. Christ. Amen? I want to give you just one more verse. John chapter 16. John 16. Verse 33. 
very last verse, or man, I thought, uh, yeah, it should be the last verse in that chapter. Yeah. Jesus talking to them. I want you to notice this. Can, it, can I, I'm going to go back to verse 31, okay? Jesus answered them and said, verse 31, he said, Do you believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. Can I get an amen on that? We read in John 8 where Jesus said, the Father has not left me alone. Amen? Amen. Jesus promises this same thing to the disciples when he leaves and gets, gets, uh, 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 he ascends to heaven. And just before he ascends to heaven, what does he say? And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age, right? Then notice what he says. He says right here in verse 32, Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation. Now watch what he says. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, you don't rejoice because you see results right now. We walk by faith and not by sight. If we only rejoiced when our life was going good, what kind of faith do we actually have? You see, it's only in the fire. It's only in the trial. It's only in the tribulation. It's only in the persecution that we see if we even have faith. Because when trials come and tribulations come and, and, and when, when the work gets hard and when it becomes tedious and, and, and uh, it just seems pointless, you'll see who comes and who goes, who stays and who leaves. Jesus said, the same that endure to the end. They that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, that I will profess to them, I never knew you. Amen? I don't know you. Why? Because when the winds came and the rains beat down and, 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 and the waves started crashing in, it was found that your house was built upon sand and not on my words. What are Jesus' words? Come unto me, all you who are laboring or heavy laden. I'll give you rest. His words in this chapter are, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He didn't say you have overcome the world. He, he didn't say you have made, he didn't say all of this is going to go good for, notice that Romans 8.28 doesn't say all things are going to work out good for you. That's not what it says. 
It doesn't say everything's going to be honky-dory. It doesn't say everything's going to be easy. It doesn't say everything's going to work out good. It said that all things work together for good. You see, some people can handle the blessing of finances, and God knows other people can't handle it. That it, it would actually be sin for them to even have it because it would lead them someplace they don't need to go. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. Why? Because he ain't in charge. Paul knew he wasn't in charge. He had been bought with a price, and his life was not his own. Amen? Count it all joy. Count it all joy when they talk about you. What did, didn't Jesus say that? He said, they're going to, uh, he, he said, uh, turn with me to Matthew 5, just for a second, okay? I thought I was done. I was almost done. I kind of almost got done. Matthew 5. <laughs> Watch this. Verse 11. Blessed. Somebody touch your neighbor and say, blessed. Now you got to say it just like that. Blessed. All right. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Now watch what he says in the next verse. Rejoice. Are you crazy? You heard what they said about me, Jesus? Did you hear what they said? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't go down to that church. That pastor gets a little loud. Oh, they, you know, they're a bunch of holy Bible-thumping guys that really expect sanctification. Don't go down there. I've heard it from people's mouth that they were told not to come here. It's all right. Count it all joy. Watch this. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. <laughs> in other words, if you're not doing it right, they're not going to say nothing bad about you. But if you're doing it right, they're going to say all kinds of stuff about you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to talk bad about you. They're going to lay false accusations against you. And he said, rejoice. Not only rejoice, but be exceedingly glad. Could have named that. I could have named this whole sermon that. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. So when you're in the middle of diverse trials and temptations and tribulation, rejoice. For I have over come the world. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you can lift us up. You can encourage us. You can help us, God. Even when things don't look good, even when things don't look right, even when they're talking bad about us, even when they they, they're not coming and not supporting and not showing up, God. We know that you have not left us 
You've not forsaken us. Jesus, we thank you that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So, Lord, we come tonight. We came, Lord. I came with a heart burdened and heavy. And, Lord, I leave here tonight with a heart full of joy and exceedingly glad that my reward is in heaven. And I can hold on to the hope of my high calling. I can hold fast to the profession of my faith without wavering. For he's faithful that promised. Lord, I thank you for being faithful. That you never fail. You're not a man that you should lie nor the son of man that you should repent. Lord, we thank you. We give you glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.